Coming up, a message from the pulpit of Bethel Primitive Baptist Church in Calabash, North Carolina, by Elder Michael Goins. For information about Bethel Church, please visit our website at BethelPBC.us. Last Sunday, we began a mini-series on the subject of shepherding the flock of God. As we're trying to glean from Holy Scripture a pastoral theology. And I want to read from John chapter 10 this morning, the first 16 verses. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. This is the only parable in John's gospel. It's the parable of the shepherd and the sheep. And Jesus says in this passage, I am the good shepherd. Now, my motives in studying pastoral theology are various. Somebody says, the only person that this sermon applies to is you, because you're the only pastor in this congregation. But the New Testament includes a good bit of material about what it means to minister God's Word. In most all of the epistles, there are exhortations given to ministers Certainly in three epistles, the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, we have very detailed instructions about church life and the role that a pastor is to fill and how he is to interact with the congregation. So the New Testament contains a good bit of information, and if for no other reason, if we're to preach the whole counsel of God, this subject deserves attention. Secondly, God's people need to know what to expect from those who minister the Word of God to them and serve in this capacity as pastor. 
The scriptures give us this portrait of ministers of the gospel so that God's people will know what to expect from those that minister the word of God to them. I know I need regular reminders as a pastor of what it means to serve my Lord in this capacity. And also one of my motives in dealing with this is I want to sow a seed in the hearts of young men here and there to consider whether or not perhaps God may be calling them to serve in this capacity. Obviously, we want to see the ministry of the word perpetuated. When I'm gone, we want there to be others. And when the old pass off the scene, the work continues. God buries his workmen, but he continues his work. And this is a cause bigger than any individual. It's a cause in which we hope to see the church and the gospel of Christ proclaimed here in this part of the country, even when the current occupant of the office passes off the scene. And I suggest one reason we need to be aware of what the Bible says concerning pastoral theology is there's significant confusion today in religious circles as well as among our own people concerning what an authentic ministry is supposed to be. In many churches, pastor sees himself as the CEO of the business. He's managing the projects and the programs and making sure the budget is in order. And in many cases, he's not much more than just the leader of an organization. There are some ministers that see themselves as celebrities. And may I say that's not consistent with the biblical model. In authentic ministry, the preacher's not an entertainer or a master of ceremonies, and he's not a weekend warrior, as if the ministry is just an additional hobby, like an extra hobby that he's added on to the rest of his life, but the bulk of his attention is somewhere else. The preacher is certainly not an owner of the church. One of my grandsons asked me last week, did you have to pay money for this church, Papa?" <laughs> And I said, no, they asked me to serve, and they called me to serve, and uh, I'm here because they want the service, but it doesn't belong to me. I didn't buy the church. It's not my personal corner of the universe. The preacher's not a celebrity. He's not an entertainer. He's not the owner of the church. The fact is there are two extremes in popular thought about what a pastor is supposed to be. First, somebody says he's an untouchable cleric before whom the people must bow and kiss his ring. And the opposite extreme is he's a cool cat wearing a t-shirt and skinny jeans, pacing the stage like an American Idol performer and giving a pep talk in common vernacular that you might hear on the street. Both my friends are incorrect views of what a pastor is supposed to be. According to scripture, the pastor is a shepherd of the flock. Last week we learned that the word pastor derives from the Greek word poimen, which means shepherd. And I believe that this passage in John chapter 10 is a wonderful place for us to consider. For Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. You know, in every part of the Christian life, the Lord Jesus Christ is our great example. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we're to run this Christian race looking unto Jesus. Now we're to look unto him as our strength, but we're also to look to him as our example, our author and finisher, the one who pioneered the course, the trailblazer. That's what the word author means. He's the one who's gone before us. And we're to pattern ourselves after him. 
Preachers are to take their cue from Jesus, just as people in the pew are to take their cue from the Lord Jesus Christ regarding what it means to live the Christian life. And I suggest as we look at what it means to be a shepherd, let's remember, and here's the point where we ended last Sunday's message, that the Lord Jesus Christ is our great shepherd. He is the keeper of his people. Now, whether you ever have a man who serves in the role of shepherd or pastor, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the great shepherd, watching over and keeping his flock. And the fact is, he's actually able to help you. You know, those who are given to lead in a gospel church capacity are really pointing to him, you know, but he's the source of all of our blessings. The good shepherd of the sheep is the one who takes care of us. As we ended last Sunday, we talked about the fact that we need a shepherd because Scripture compares us to sheep. We're not compared to redwood trees or rocks of Gibraltar, but we are helpless sheep. There are few creatures on the planet more defenseless and helpless than a sheep. It doesn't have sharp teeth. It's not fleet of foot. It doesn't have an intimidating appearance. It can't roar loudly. It has no defense mechanisms. It is completely vulnerable to its environment and particularly the predators that are out there unless it has a shepherd to watch over them. And my friends, it's humbling to think of ourselves in that capacity, but it's accurate. We are helpless apart from the Lord's blessing. We are completely helpless. We're prone to wander like little lambs are. I know that's my case. You know what happens to me when things are going pretty well? When I have smooth sailing in my life, I tend to lose sight of how much I need the Lord. Is that your condition? And uh, I just wander away. And before I would know it, I think, where's the Lord? What happened? And I feel very cold and distant and spiritually anemic. You see, dear friends, the Lord Jesus Christ is our shepherd, and we are his sheep. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And from this rich metaphor of the shepherd and his sheep, I think we can learn something about the important role that a shepherd fills in the lives of his little lambs. First of all, a shepherd is one who provides for and cares for the lambs in his fold. In the familiar 23rd Psalm, David, who was himself a shepherd at the end of his life, reflects back on how the Lord has been so faithful to take care of him. And he says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, that is, I will have no needs that are unmet by him. Everything I truly need, the Lord takes care of it. I have to tell you, all I've ever needed, his hand is provided. That hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, says that in the chorus. Morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand has provided. Can you say that today, my friend? All I've ever needed. Now, there were times I thought, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do in this situation. Today, I look back with 20-20 hindsight, and I'll tell you the Lord provided. Because I have a great shepherd What a tender image this is. I pray the Holy Spirit will help you to see the picture and to feel how precious this thought is in the Bible. That's one reason the 23rd Psalm is so beloved to God's people down through the centuries. The Lord is my shepherd. 
David knew what it was to be a dedicated shepherd. He took care of his father's flocks. You remember? He told the story how that a lion and a bear came to take a lamb out of the fold, and he, with his own hands, braved the danger. Courageously, he intervened. He stepped in between the vulnerable victim and the predator, and he slew the lion and the bear. Now, I don't know if it was just a burst of adrenaline. I certainly, I know this, that it was the strength of God that helped him. But he did the impossible. He accomplished a tremendous feat. I can imagine that as he thought about it later, it must have scared him a good bit. Probably scared him at the moment, but you see, instinct took over, and he stepped in, and he slew the lion and the bear. I mean, he tore them limb from limb. I don't know how it's possible, but by divine help, certainly there's nothing too hard for the Lord. But David knew what it was to truly care for his little lambs. And he says, you know, the way I've cared for my sheep, that's the way the Lord has cared for me all my life. You see, the 23rd Psalm is really a psalm about the providence of God. The theme of that psalm is that our shepherd provides for his sheep. He says, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He provides rest for me. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He provides peace and refreshment. He restoreth my soul. He lifts me up when I'm down. He provides spiritual renewal. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He provides divine guidance. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He assuages my fear, for thou art with me. He provides his abiding presence. May I say, if God is present with you, my friends, you can face anything. If you can sense his presence, he will be present with you. But if you can feel his presence and you're aware that he's present, if you can remember his promises never to leave you nor forsake you, then even though you're walking through the deep, dark valley of affliction and even the shadow of death, he says, I won't even be afraid. Now, you know, what this psalm is describing is a one-year cycle in the relationship between a shepherd and a sheep. What happened with eastern shepherds and their flocks is they would hold up at the barn or at home at the father's house during the winter months but as the spring rains came and the pastures began to bloom, the grass began to grow, then the shepherd would take his flock on a journey. And he would take them up into the high tablelands. He would lead them from the ranch through the different meandering scenes all the way up into the tops of the mountains where the rich grass grew on the tablelands, on the plateaus. And on the way there, they would go through many deep and dark crags. They would have various struggles, predators, mountain lions, jackals, wolves, hyenas would threaten the flock. But you see, the shepherd was with them all the way. As you start this psalm, David says, he makes me to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. But before you've gone too far, they're walking in the valley of the shadow of death. They're on these narrow passageways going up the mountain that dips down and the mountain shadows them on either side and it's dark and it's scary and behind the next bend or in the cave in the rocks there could be a predator lurking waiting to pounce and to seize one of the little lambs but the sheep says I'm not even afraid because I have such a good shepherd. It's a beautiful poetic description a journey in the life of a little sheep. And my friends, as you look at your journey, it hasn't all been smooth sailing, has it? 
There have been a few times that you've had to go through the deep, dark valleys. There have been some times when you've been able to rest in the sunshine, in the green pastures. But other times, my friends, you've been in peril. But you know, the psalmist says, as I look back over the meandering scenes of my life, I can say through it all, my shepherd's been with me. I've not had to fear, for he has been with me, his rod and his staff, they comforted me. Now, shepherd had two instruments. He had his staff, you know, the shepherd's crook. And as they walked up these narrow passageways and a cliff fell off on one side, oftentimes the shepherd would have to take his staff and guide the little lamb lest it got too close to the side and then his rod his club and as the wolf came out he could use that to do battle against him and then he gets to the tablelands he says thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies now there are dangers lurking beyond but yet it's like i have a feast laid out for me and i can feed in peace i can feed to my heart's desire. That's Psalm 23. It talks about a shepherd who provides and cares for his people. That's one of the most important roles a shepherd feels is providing for. Like a father provides for his family, a shepherd provides for the sheep. Now the sheep don't have the sense, (laughs) no offense intended, to provide for themselves. They don't get together and say, you know, we're running low on, on the bread. And we need milk and some eggs. And why don't you go to the supermarket and get us some groceries? They don't make plans like that. They don't have means of transportation like that. They don't have money to spend. They don't know how to provide for themselves. They don't go out hunting like the wild predator does to take its own game and provide for itself. A sheep is dependent, totally dependent upon the shepherd to provide for it. And so, my friends, you and I are totally dependent on our great shepherd to provide and care for us. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you perfect. Notice how this shepherd, this risen shepherd, who's been brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's been resurrected and gone back to heaven from his heavenly throne, he makes us perfect in every good work to do his will working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ yes indeed dear friends he is providing for and caring for he's actively invested in his flock I love the verse in 1 Peter 2 verse 25 that says you were as sheep going astray but now are returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls look at those two titles for Jesus shepherd That's poimain, the one who provides for, feeds, and bishop means overseer or keeper. The Greek word is episkopos, from which we get our English word episcopal. You've probably heard of a church called the Episcopal Church. It's a church ruled by bishops or governed by bishops. But Jesus is called the great episkopos. He's the great bishop, and the word literally means to oversee. Now, is there a difference in overseeing? And overlooking. <laughs> Somebody says, uh, Preacher, I was, I, you didn't speak to me last night. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to overlook you. That means I didn't notice. But to oversee means to superintend, to notice. It's the very opposite. To oversee. You know, an overseer is like a superintendent or, or a supervisor 
Notice the word, the concept of vision in the, in the root of that word supervisor. Like a supervisor at work, what he does is he watches over the other workers. And he oversees that they're doing what they should and that they have the materials that they need and that the schedule is being kept. He's sort of in charge. You know, he's managing. Jesus Christ, my friends, watches over your life and mine. He's our overseer. And may I say, as the bishop of our souls, he keeps our souls. He oversees for the purpose of keeping and protecting. Jesus, I'm glad to tell you, is the great sentinel or watchman like a shepherd would be over his little lambs. That brings up another thought. Shepherds are not only providers overseeing the flock, that if there's a need here, there's a new lamb that's starting starting to limp, or here are two old rams butting heads over here, and he notices it, and he steps in to resolve the issue and to solve the problem before it gets too bad. Not only does he provide for the flock, making sure they have a good pasture land, you know, he sees when they have nibbled the grass down to the nub and it's time to go to another pasture. He makes those arrangements. So Jesus Christ is very meticulous in the way he cares for his church. But a shepherd also protects and defends. He's ready to do battle. That's what Psalm 23 verse 4 says again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Jesus is the great shepherd of his people. He's our guardian. And then notice another thing that we can learn from this rich metaphor of a shepherd. A shepherd provides and cares for the sheep. He watches over them to see what the need may be, and he meets that need. He not only protects and defends the sheep, he's their guardian. He's their watchman, their sentinel. But a shepherd leads and guides the sheep. And two times in that 23rd Psalm, he uses this expression, he leadeth me. Verse 2, he leadeth me beside the still waters. Verse 3, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. You may know that those three words, he leadeth me, were the impetus to one of the hymns in our hymn book. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whatever I do, where I be, still tis my God that leadeth me. As your great shepherd, he's our leader. He gives us guidance and leadership by his Holy Spirit. From this image, not only do we learn something about the roles that a shepherd fills, but we learn something about the necessary qualities of an excellent or a good shepherd. A good shepherd is one who takes the initiative. Look at our text in John 10, verse 4. When he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him. Notice he takes the lead. He takes the initiative. He doesn't wait for them to determine where they want to go, but he is leading, and they are willing and ready to follow. So a shepherd takes the initiative. Leadership is vitally important. You may be interested to know that the way it worked in Israel and in many eastern parts of the world where shepherding was common, is that in every village, the sheepfold was common property. Every village had its own sheepfold, usually a little piece of ground that was protected by walls or a strong fence. And the shepherds would bring their flocks in at the end of the day and give them into the hands of a porter 
who was in charge of the sheepfold, and it would be his job to watch over them during the night as they were in this corral or this protected fence, this pen, while the shepherd got some rest. So you might have a half dozen shepherds, and each lamb and their flock would all be corralled together in the sheepfold. And the next morning, the shepherd would come out and would uh, call his own sheep by name, and they knew his voice. And they wouldn't follow the voice of one of the other shepherds. And he would lead them out back into the pasture. That's the imagery in John chapter 10 when Jesus says, a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And he goeth before his sheep, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Leadership and initiative is one of the qualities that is crucial in a good shepherd. Another thing that we learn from this passage in John 10 is selflessness, the willingness to sacrifice, total dedication to the flock. Look at verse 10. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now here's an important thing to understand about John chapter 10. If you really want to understand this chapter, it's important to look at the last few verses of chapter 9. John 9, where Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees, which have been listening to his sermon, said, Are we blind also? And Jesus said, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. And then he went right into this chapter. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes were the religious leaders of Israel. And in the contrast in John 10 between the false shepherds and the good shepherd. See, this whole passage is built on a contrast between a thief and a robber or a hireling. He uses all these images to talk about the false shepherds. He's talking about how the religious leaders of the Jews had dropped the ball. Instead of caring for the people, they were only lining their own pockets. They were fleecing the flock instead of feeding the flock. <laughs> they were using their position for personal privilege and personal ambition. In other words, it was just a job or career to them, and their hearts really weren't in it. Jesus is comparing himself as one who takes care of his people to the religious leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees. And notice the worst of the bunch is called the thief, and I think it's very appropriate for us in verse 10 to think of the devil. For he is the ultimate thief. Isn't he the ultimate false shepherd who promises to take care of people in their lives, but he doesn't deliver on his promises? The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I want to say today, my friends, that so many of God's children in this world have been victimized by the old devil. Their minds have been stolen. Their time has been stolen. They've spent their life going around in circles. You know, distracted by fool's gold, thinking that this is what life's all about. This will make me happy. And I dare say their lives have been stolen and their testimony has been destroyed by the arch enemy of our souls, the devil. I hope you know today that we have an enemy and he gives the impression that he's going to take care of you. He's like that snake on Jungle Book, you know, the old Walt Disney movie that said, trust in me, trust in me. And he gives you the impression that he can fulfill your desires, but I'm telling you that he's a thief. 
and the only result of his influence in our lives is destruction. The thief cometh not. How many people have had their minds stolen by drugs or alcohol or pornography? He'll steal your mind. How many of God's children have been prejudiced against the truth of the gospel by the devil's lies that they hear out in this world? He has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine into them and they should be saved. You see the contrast between the thief and the good shepherd. The thief doesn't care about the flock. He only wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I am come, in contrast, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm telling you, dear friends, through our good shepherd who sacrificed for us, eternal life has been given to all of his sheep. And there is something even in addition to that. You say, what can be additional to eternal life? Nothing in terms of quality. But I'll tell you something in terms of quantity, that there are blessings to be had not only later when we reach heaven, but even right now in this world, there is life more abundant for the little child of grace. That means your life can be rich. Your life can be peaceful. Your life can be blessed because the good shepherd cares about providing for his little lambs. And all of this has come to us because our shepherd is selfless. This is a great quality for a shepherd. Not only does he take the initiative and lead the flock, but he's willing to sacrifice himself and dedicate himself totally to the flock. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd who gives his money for the sheep. Is that what he said? Who gives his time for the sheep. Is that what he said? No. Who gives his life for the sheep. And that is total dedication. To lay down his life. To give his own life blood. To sacrifice himself. Can't you... See in your mind's eye a flock of sheep in the pasture grazing and here are some lions that are planning an attack and the shepherd who oversees them and who notices sees the danger. Now the little lambs don't know that there's danger yet. They don't know until it's too late but the shepherd sees and he goes out and stands between the flock and the danger and the lions attack and he Fights them with his bare hands. He takes his rod and his club and he does his best to protect the little lambs. You say, well, he might die in the process. But my beloved, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. In Jesus Christ, the good shepherd laid down his life. He died in the process so that his sheep might have everlasting life and that they might have it more abundantly. Right now. Now, he didn't die because the predators were stronger than him. He died because he laid down his life for the sheep. As he goes on to say in John chapter 10, verse 18, No man taketh my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. But you see, a good shepherd is one who takes the leadership. And he's one who is dedicated to the flock to the point that he's willing to sacrifice himself. Selflessness is one of the great and important qualities of a shepherd. And then thirdly, affection. Love and compassion for the sheep. Shepherding is not just a job to him, but he actually loves his flock. And he's willing to do whatever he needs to do because they're in his heart. Out of compassion to care for them. Verse 13 of John chapter 10 says it like this. The hireling fleeth when the wolf comes because he's a hireling. And he careth not. For the sheep. What's the problem with the hireling? 
the shepherd who's just been hired to watch over the shepherd's flock while the shepherd attends to other affairs. This is just somebody who has a temporary role. Why is he doing what he's doing? Because he truly loves the flock? No, he's doing it for the paycheck, right? I'm telling you, our Lord Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of the sheep. He's not a hireling. He truly loves his little ones. He has a heart for them. And so will every true under-shepherd of his flock. He will minister not because he's getting something from it. He won't use it as a stepping stone to his own personal advancement, but he does so because he truly loves the one that he serves and loves the sheep of his fold in his pasture. And then another quality of a genuine shepherd is intimacy and familiarity and attentiveness to the flock. Verse 14 says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known of mine. Now notice he says in this passage, good shepherd goes before the sheep and they follow him. Leadership says he lays down his life for the sheep. That's sacrifice, self-sacrifice. It says that he cares for the sheep. That's affection and love and compassion. And then it says that he knows his sheep. And that word know means to know them through and through. Now he knows the particular personality of each little lamb in his flock. He knows that this ewe lamb and this ewe lamb have different personalities. They're both mother sheep, but, but they have different personalities. And he adapts his care for them based on what their capacities might be. He knows what is needed in each situation. He knows that the little lamb that may have a malformed limb can't quite keep up with the rest of them, so he gives it additional help. He uses his discretion. He's intimate. He knows his sheep, and he's known of them. I want to say familiarity and attentiveness is crucial in shepherding a flock. Now, Jesus is our great example. I've said all of that to say this. One of the primary ways that our good shepherd provides for his sheep in this world is not only did he die for us on the cross and he's gone back to heaven to continue to work in us that we might do his will that which is well pleasing in his sight but our heavenly shepherd provides for his sheep today by appointing under shepherds to tend the flock and we looked at that in the text last week jeremiah three fifteen. god says i will give you pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Look at this nexus of thoughts in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 and verse 4. 1 Peter 5, 1, Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. Now, Peter says, I'm talking to the preachers. The word elder is a biblical designation for gospel ministers. And Peter says, I also am an elder. So here's a preacher talking to other preachers. He says, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. So he actually saw Christ crucified and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And here's my exhortation to you. Feed the flock of God. That word feed again is poimain, shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Notice they're not three states away, but they're near, proximate. And that's the ideal situation for a shepherd, for a pastor to live in the community or in the vicinity of the church that he serves. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight. That's initiative. That's leadership. He didn't say wait for somebody to delegate it to you. 
Somebody says, well, I'm not going to get in the pulpit until the brethren tell me I can get in the pulpit. He says, you've been called as pastor. You take the leadership. You take the oversight. And he didn't say leave two furrows, you know, make them drag into the pulpit while you drag your heels kicking and screaming and say, I'm just not He says, the Lord's called you to this task. Now you take the leadership. You take the initiative, taking the oversight thereof. Notice he didn't say taking the control. He says, take the oversight. That is, it's your responsibility to oversee the flock. And then he says, not by constraint. That's the idea, not being forced to do it, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. Your motive shouldn't be a paycheck, but of a ready mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. That is, you can't micromanage the fold. You're not there to rule. You're not there to govern. You're there to lead. Not as being lords over God's heritage. You're not the Lord over their faith or you can't control their consciences, but being examples, in samples to the flock. That word in samples means literally an example, exemplary ministry. God willing, we'll talk about that next time. So he says, I'm talking to shepherds. And then notice the next verse, verse 4, 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear. Now notice, if there's a chief shepherd, then who are the other shepherds that he's just talked to? They're under shepherds. That is, the church doesn't belong to them, but they have been given a role to play. They have been given a, a function to satisfy. When the chief shepherd shall appear, if you've done your job well, you shall receive a crown of glory. That is, he'll be pleased with you. There's a blessing to be had in faithful pastoral ministry. So that's the thought that I want. One of the primary ways that the chief shepherd provides for his sheep is by appointing under shepherds over them. You see this thought furthermore in Micah chapter 5, the Old Testament. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Now this is a messianic prophecy from the Old Testament. And Bethlehem is where Jesus was born, right? But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little, O little town of Bethlehem, it was more of a, a village. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. So here's Capernaum. Here's Jerusalem, here are all of these other cities, but he says, Bethlehem's little, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old. Oh, there's rich doctrine in this verse. The one who's born in Bethlehem is the eternal son of God, whose goings forth have been from of old, even from everlasting. Watch this next verse. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord. What will the Messiah be? He'll be a shepherd. He shall stand and feed. That word feed is a shepherd's term. In the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And it says, for now shall he be great unto the ends of the earth. And this man shall be the peace when the Assyrian shall come into the, our land. That is, when the enemy approaches, this man will be the peace. The shepherd's going to defend us. And when he shall tread in our palaces, then shall we raise against him seven shepherds. And eight principal men. Notice the one shepherd who comes out of Bethlehem Ephratah, who stands and feeds, is going to raise other shepherds and principal men to defend against the enemy's assault. That's what the Lord did when he appointed apostles and as he calls gospel ministers in subsequent ages of the life of the church. 
May I say that the ministry, gospel ministry, is one of the best blessings the Lord's given to the church. You say, now, Brother Mike, just a second. I don't think of preachers as a blessing. I think of them as a burden. I think of them as pesters rather than pastors. You know, they pester us. Well, 1 Corinthians 3.22 says, all things are yours. Look at how lavish God has been in blessing his people. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, or things present or things to come, or height or depth, he says, all are yours, and you're Christ's, and Christ is God's. In the catalog of divine blessings in that passage, the first three are preachers. God has given the ministry to the church to feed our hungry souls, to show us what living a Christian life looks like. For they're not only to proclaim the truth, but they're to be examples to the flock, in samples, leadership by example. You see? So that we have show and tell. Not only are they telling us, but they're showing us. I don't know about you, but I learn better when I can not only hear it, but I can see it in action. You've heard the old poem by Edmund Burke. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show me the way. The eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. Well, God provided for his church so that the ministry is to be a microcosm of the Christian life. It's to be a small-scale example of what it means to be totally dedicated. You know, there were Nazarites in the Old Testament. Samson was a Nazarite. Remember? No razor could come on his hair. And he couldn't drink the fruit of the vine, couldn't drink any strong drink. And uh, there were some other stipulations for Nazarites. Nazarites were strange-looking characters. If you were a little Jewish boy or girl growing up and you saw a Nazarite come into town, you would say, look, Mommy, that man looks different than the rest of us. But you know what a Nazarite was supposed to be? He was supposed to be an object lesson of the call to be separated that God had given to the people in general. God had told all of his people he wanted them to be separate from the world. He wanted them to be totally devoted to him, to be consecrated to him. And the Nazarites were to be microcosms of the call to holiness. And so the gospel ministry today is to be a small-scale example. I mean, it's a wonderful thought to me that the ministry is to be exemplary. Well, one of the primary ways that our Heavenly Shepherd takes care of His church is by giving pastors according to His heart, and they're all yours. Because we need to be reminded of God's Word, right? We need to hear the truth. We need to have it explained. You say, well, I can learn it on my own. It's true. You have the right of private judgment. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. But aren't we like that Ethiopian eunuch? Understandest thou what thou readest? How can I accept some man guide me? And we do need guidance. We need leadership. There have been times I've sat under the sound of a gospel sermon, and suddenly verses that had perplexed me for years suddenly made sense, and I could put them together. I could put this verse over here and that verse over there together, and I started to see a big picture emerge, not just isolated ideas, but I started to understand what it meant. And that's one of the values and benefits of gospel ministry, if the shepherd is doing what he should. As I close, I refer you to Acts 20, 28, where Paul tells the elders at Ephesus, feed the flock of God. Again, the word feed is poimain. Shepherd, the flock of God. He says, feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers.
Notice there's a spiritual component here. If the Lord is providing for the needs of his people, if they're praying to him, looking to him, and he's sending a man whose gifts and talents are tailored to the needs of that congregation, they're a blessing to him, he's a blessing to them. When the Holy Ghost is involved, my friends, may I say it's a wonderful situation. Feed the flock of God over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. He says, take heed to thyself and to the flock. So preacher, you watch yourself. And that's the most important need in a gospel minister's life is the self-watch. Take heed to yourself. Charles Spurgeon once delivered a lecture to aspiring ministers on the subject, the minister's self-watch. And it's so important to think about our own attitudes and to make sure I don't become lazy. That I want to be a diligent shepherd. I want to be a dedicated shepherd. I want to be a sacrificial shepherd. One who's willing to spend and be spent for the cause of Christ. Paul says, take heed to yourself and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. May I say, dear friends, pastoral ministry is a great responsibility. I want to close by reading you something I wrote some years back. Pastoral ministry is the act of shepherding the flock of God. In fact, the masculine noun pastor is derived from the Greek word poimen for shepherd. The poimen cares for God's sheep by providing for their spiritual nourishment, protecting them from predators, and overseeing their spiritual welfare. The shepherd's role is at the same time one of service, that is, he exists to supply the needs of the flock, and leadership, that is, he exercises oversight of the flock as one who must answer to the great shepherd for their condition. The pastorate is the personal or the people side of ministry. Not the academic side, first and foremost. This isn't an academy, but we'll talk later about how teaching the word and teaching the truth is the heart and soul of it. But the pastor is the personal side of ministry involving actual day in and day out interaction at a grassroots level with real people who live in a real world. You know, one thing about shepherds, it, it's not a very glamorous job. You don't see many shepherds whose names are in lights. Shepherding is not a glamorous calling, and it's not real visible. When David kept his father's sheep, nobody knew what took place until he told them later. It's just him and the sheep out there in the hill country, you know. They live together. He's providing for them, protecting them. And the goal should never be to be famous, to climb the ladder of success, to be more visible and to be a celebrity. The goal, my friends, is to be content, to minister to real people who live in a real world, to love them even in spite of their rough edges because they're loving me in spite of my rough edges, and to serve the Lord together. And when you have such a blessing, if the pastor's motivated by love to the heavenly shepherd and by a genuine heart for the sheep that he's been called to lead, he will inevitably prove himself. If he's not motivated by that, he'll be unfaithful. If he is motivated by that, he'll be a faithful steward of the charge that God has given him. Christ is our great example. May we follow him. May we be thankful for him. And when men drop the ball and they don't fulfill what they should, let us remember the Lord will still take care of his people in a very special way.